The world is emblematic. Parts of speech are metaphors because the whole of nature is a metaphor of the human mind. Ralph Waldo Emerson. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee S's. We are continuing our double part episode about the parts of speech. If you haven't listened to part one, go back, do that. That's where we dig into nouns, verbs, adverbs, all those wonderful basic parts of speech that make up a sentence. Today, we're getting a little bit past second grade, and we're going on to maybe sixth grade in the parts of speech, some of the stuff that you don't know that you know, what a preposition is, what an article is, and how contractions and conjunctions are different. So the first part of speech we're going to talk about today are your prepositions. You always hear that phrase, never end a sentence with a preposition. And that's because prepositions show the relationships between the nouns within the sentence. So something that a member of our writing club always used to say is a preposition is never something to end a sentence with. Which is ending a sentence with a preposition. But that's a good way to remind you of what a preposition is. With is showing the relationship between the sentence and the noun preposition. This rule of not ending a sentence with a preposition goes back to when written language was dictated a lot by the church, and the church studied Latin as well as what became English. And so they decided because it's in Latin, it must be holy, this rule must travel over to English as well. So it's one of those rules that I happily throw out the window. Now, I urge you to use caution when trying to defenestrate this particular rule because there is a awkwardness sometimes to ending a sentence with a preposition. There are better ways to phrase things. So if you find yourself wanting to end a sentence with, with, for, to, try to find a new way to structure it that will make it read better and not break the rule. If you are breaking this rule, just be aware that you're breaking the rule. This is not one of those things that you willy-nilly walk in and out of, of being a preposition. You understand what you're doing and you choose to do it anyway. As is the standard that we will try to urge with any of these rules. Know it so that you choose to break it so it's purposeful rather than accidentally breaking it because you don't know better. The next part of speech we're going to discuss are articles. Those are more or less your tiny words, a and the, these little words that don't get capitalized in the cover of a book. Is that the rule? (laughs) (laughs) It's my understanding of the rule anyway. I mean, it makes sense suddenly. Again, this is one of those rules that I mentioned in last part where I generally know it instinctively, but didn't know that's what it was called. Other languages have more complex versions of articles, especially the Latin languages. A lot of them genderize nouns, and that's assigned by the article before the word. So in Spanish, el or la would be the article. 
In English, it's a lot of times just a or the. So we don't capitalize articles in titles, but we also don't capitalize conjunctions in titles. Conjunctions are the small words that connect two independent thoughts. How you're going to remember those conjunction words is the acronym FANBOYS. Those are F for A and N nor B but O or Y yet S. So, FANBOYS. This is going to be the majority of your conjunctions. I am headed to the store and I am going to pick up cookies while I'm there. Two separate thoughts joined together. There needs to be a relationship between those two phrases. The and connects that first part where you're going to the grocery store and showing what you're going to do there. Do not use a conjunction to connect two unrelated, uncorrelated actions or thoughts. A lot of these conjunctions are going to be red flag words, especially if you're writing in a leaner style like I do. There are a couple of subcategories of conjunctions as well, like the correlative conjunctions, and that shows how the two independent thoughts relate to each other. These words are both, whether, either, neither, just. And the other subcategory would be subordinate conjunctions. Those are putting the second phrase underneath the first phrase. Using a conjunction like provided that. I intend to purchase chocolate chips provided that the store has the mini versions. You can also use while, that, because, as, if. There is also a bit of punctuation that also serves a similar purpose as these conjunctions, so we want to put it in this collection as well. This is your semicolon. Semicolons are used to replace the conjunctions of two connecting but independent phrases. Semicolons are almost exclusively academic and nonfiction. If you're using them in fiction, be very careful about it. I would advise replacing as many of these as possible with a period. Along with replacing as many conjunctions as you can, simply with a period. We no longer live in the Victorian times. We don't need sentences that last a whole paragraph. Now, I will confess when doing research for the notes for this episode, I got conjunctions messed up with this next type of word. How do you get conjunctions and contractions confused? Because you're mashing stuff together, and this is what joins the two pieces. So, while your conjunctions join two independent phrases, your contractions are two words smushed together. We have a tendency to join words together, especially in the Middle English when they were still kind of coming up with a lot of the lexicon because they had several different independent languages living in one spot. Contractions are especially useful for shortening the amount of time it takes to convey a thought. Yolative. <laughs> I advise only having one contraction per word. Oh, but I like yolative. Which is what you all would have. <laughs> That's four words being crammed into one there. 
So your key indicator of your contractions are your apostrophes. You will always have an apostrophe that marks the missing letters. So in can't, it's a combination of cannot, C-A-N apostrophe T. You're marking, hey, look, this O is missing. So don't, won't, can't, these things have the not on the end. It's not always the case, but that tends to be the majority of how you use that. So when you're trying to come up with a contraction off the top of your head, add whatever with an apostrophe T at the end and see if that works. Contractions aren't just an English thing. French actually uses it quite a bit, which has made me struggle in learning the genders of random objects because apparently they live in some bizarre Beauty and the Beast world. Tree is masculine, but instead of doing L-E or L-A, the next word starts with a vowel. Therefore, they attach the L apostrophe, abre. So you are joining at the beginning of the word in French instead of at the end of the word, which is where you most commonly see it in English. The next part of speech we'll discuss today are auxiliary verbs. These are going to be the little ones that you don't think about somebody doing an action. These are things like do or has or is. Something often used to express present tense is or was. Those choices help you convey the tense of your story. A lot of your character voice can be heightened by taking these small auxiliary verbs and making them more specific. Instead of saying he is afraid, he trembled. You're changing your verb to give a better, more vivid picture of what's happening. So this sounds like a lot of your auxiliary verbs are going to be the ones that are more tell rather than show. Let's end our discussion on the different parts of speech with another homework assignment. Go over the last 10,000 words you wrote. Step one, find 10 sentences with conjunctions and pick three of them to split into two different sentences. Step two, find 10 auxiliary verbs and change them into more telling, interesting verbs. This should help you identify those more problematic parts of writing so that as you go forward and continue to write, you will see them and you can make your first drafts better so that when you go through and edit, you can identify what needs to change, what can improve, how many auxiliary verbs you can change out to make them better, more descriptive verbs. And that should help you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 